Hey, it's Bree. This weekend on CityCast Denver, we've got something a little different for you. Because you're hearing my voice right now, I know you get podcasts. And like me, you're probably always looking for another good one to try. So we're bringing in the biggest podcast fan we know to pass along some recommendations that give you a fresh perspective on Denver. Her name is Barry. She runs a website called Podcasts in Color, and I think you're going to like her. the best podcasts are like you can listen to it from anywhere and i'm big on international podcasts now so to me the best podcast you can listen to from anywhere and feel connected to the host almost like the subject matter don't mean i'm not in egypt i'm not on these things but you know what i will listen to the curting cultures because like i just want to listen to what's going on you know <laughs> somewhere yeah else. you're interested in how they're portraying a story exactly so i think that like as people um, for podcasting, I'm like, once you connect to one podcast, it's easier to find a podcast and be like, oh, I don't like that. I don't connect to it. Oh, I like that. I connect to it. And a lot of people, if you don't get to that space, you don't keep listening to podcasts or like go into more podcasts. You just listen to the one you do, which might be the daily because it's just like I'm just getting my little 30 minutes and then I'm going on. I'm not necessarily trying to get into what else they're doing in a true crime and whatever. <laughs> Um, well, let's get to the one that you're going to recommend for us this month. And um, the particular episode you picked of The Connect is an interview with poet Susie Q. Smith, um, which is perfect because it's National Poetry Month. But um, why do you think this episode is the best starting point to get listeners into this podcast, The Connect? I one Susie Q. Um, like... I've just seen her in the poetry scene at different events over the years. So she's one of the people I connect as like a name to if I see it, I'm like, oh, that's Denver. Like Denver's involved in that. And also I loved um, during the episode when she was talking about growing up in a house full of people and the fact that she wrote poetry as a way to kind of be able to write, but they couldn't figure out exactly what she was saying. And that connects to COVID because everybody's in the house and it's like, maybe I just want to do things, but I don't want everybody in here to figure out what I'm doing. I just want to have something for myself in this house for an hour. And I was like, that is something that's so COVID of like, I'm trying to do this in a secret way so I can have this by myself, but I still want to write it down type of thing. So I really like that's that. That's per. No, that's perfect. And what a great introduction to Susie's work, because um, her work is so personal and um, deep, you know. And um, can you tell me more about the Connect as a podcast, like what they what they do broadly or overall? Now that I feel like I would probably have to go in a little bit more, but I know Graffiti basically from Colorado things and seeing his name. So Graffiti is the host. Yes, Graffiti is the host. Okay. Um, and when I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, we have a podcast local to Denver that's actually focusing on Denver people. And a lot of people, that's not necessarily what it is. Like, it'd be like, I'm a host from Denver, but I'm talking to business people from everywhere. I'm talking to music people from everywhere. Da, 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 da. So I was like, okay, we're talking to local Denver people. And not a lot of people, everybody knows that like, well, not everybody, but like, I feel like Denver people know the people whose names you usually see around, the people whose names that are like, you know, very much are going to be in the news if something happens and they speak up, you're like, oh, that person is probably the person speaking up on that. And so I'm like, I like that it felt like he was giving space to those people to be known outside of Colorado. And I'm like, you should, you should know who Susie Q is. Like, I'm sure other poetry scene people know her, but like, I love when people can see the things about my state. Um, 
you know, that I love and that kind of thing. This is why I follow Brie. Like when I figured out she loved Colorado and Denver as I'm like, I like that kind of thing. Like being able to show your love for something and like highlight people that do that. There's something special in that because, you know, when we feel hard, like to our neighborhoods and things like that, people that grew up places, we, you know, like I'm very much entrenched in that, like know my people. <laughs> well, I'm excited to listen to this. I mean, I always love to listen to Susie, but within the context of this show, it sounds right up my alley. Thank you so much for joining me, Barry. This has been wonderful. Thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. What's good, y'all? Welcome to another episode of The Connect, where culture meets community. As always, I'm your host, Graffiti. And on this week's episode, I want to talk about the power of words. Nowadays, we all have various ways to let our voices be heard. All day long, we talk, type, text, tweet, podcast, (laughs) everything. But do we actually know the power behind the words we're using and how they affect our everyday life and the people around us? Well, today's guest is going to help break that down for us. She's a professional writer, poet, songstress, teacher, and a mother. Whether it's a slam poetry contest, a TED Talk, or even moving the crowd as one of the founding members of the Lady Wu-Tang Clan, this woman right here has a way with words, y'all. Miss Susie Q. Smith. Let's connect. Okay, okay, Miss Susie Q. Smith. So, um, as I was saying off mic, it's 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 pretty good to to be busy in this time. You were saying you're pretty busy yourself. I have been. I'm teaching more than ever, writing plenty, teaching a lot. Still, definitely in a lot of creative spaces, and also a lot of the work that I've been creating for many years is now more relevant. Mm. And more people are engaging in it than they have before. Mm, for sure. I could see that. I could see that. So for the people who don't know, go ahead and let them know who you are, what you do. Sure. Uh, so I am a writer primarily. I uh, generally identify as an artist, educator, activist from these Denver, Colorado streets, uh, born and raised in Park Hill. And I've been in Denver pretty much this whole time, but I've been performing, teaching, etc., cetera, um, all over the country for a good long while. Though this year I have sat quite still, uh, and this is probably the longest time in my adult life that I have been in one city. In so, one city? Yeah, like just like sitting, not traveling at all. I haven't been on an airplane this whole year. Got you, got you. What? How has that affected you, just not being able to travel? I know a lot of people are dealing with it in different ways. How about you? You know, I was I was actually planning to take a vacation this year, um, and I don't ever take vacations. All of my travel is work, mm. and even when it's not work, I will find a way to make it work. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. But um, but this time I was like, no, I'm gonna go spend spring break in Havana with mm. some friends, and then of course spring break. Mm-mm. Uh, Cuba said, no, no, thank you. Y'all can stay right over there. (laughs) And and I said, you know what? You are correct. Uh, Let's all stay where we are. So uh, while that's a little disappointing, it's certainly a very small cost considering. Uh, But ultimately, I think it's it's in many ways enabled me to focus Mm. on not quite be, you know, when you're not doing all that ripping and running, as my grandmother would say. Right. Uh, So I would say it's kind of nice to sit still, though I do miss like interacting with audiences. I do miss being able to um, 
move about and connect with different people. I love a lot of different people in different parts of the country, so I miss them. Yeah. So that's that's challenging, but you know, all I ever do is zoom and zoom, 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 and a boom, boom, and that's what we do. That's what we do in 2020. Right. A whole lot of zoom, 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 Mm -hmm. for real. Okay. So the main thing I want to talk to you about today, um, just something that's been on my mind, just the power of words, um, both written, spoken, and just words in general and how words affect our daily life. Um, A lot of us just use words so frivolously and don't really know what we're saying, why we're saying it, and how it impacts us and the people around us. So I definitely want to sit and talk to someone that uh, makes a living off of words. (laughs) And the first thing I wanted to speak on about that is actual spoken word, um, the art of spoken word. Do you feel spoken word is becoming, I don't want to say a lost art, but the scene itself, um, do you feel like it's, it's decreasing nowadays? Mm, I would say <laughs> I don't want to no. say like dying, you know what I mean, but <laughs> No, I would say um you know, it it always goes through. It's there there are points in which it gets more attention than others for sure, you know. When I think about that late 90s early 2000s era, right, with uh deaf poetry jam mm. that brought some new attention to it, right? Uh, for for many years, the slam world was was popping off pretty strongly. But it always goes through these lulls and waves. But people have been writing and saying poems since people have been people, right? So that's not ever going to stop. And it just right. takes on different forms. It takes on different movements, right? And also right now, like our relationship to like what is visible to us is a lot. We, we work in a lot of micro communities, right? Because of one, because of COVID and everybody's at home. Um, so it's really like a lot of it's based in like what social media networks you're a part of, right? And who and how you follow, who and how you engage. But the work doesn't go anywhere. Uh, that's going to continue to happen. People will continue spoken word tradition since as, as long as people speak. Right, right, right. Um, so definitely from that aspect, it's more so not a not a trendy light being placed on it right now like it was during these different times. But the community is still strong, right? Absolutely. So let's talk about that a little bit, just for the people that don't know out there. The spoken word community, um, a lot of my friends and people within the creative networks that I move in are heavy in the spoken word community, but I, I still feel like it's a, it's like a, a underground community where, you know, you got your rappers and people in different aspects of entertainment that are more out there with what they do. But a lot of people are kind of just, they're, they're kind of in the dark about what spoken word is and how the community moves. So if you could just fill us in a little bit on just that community. I've been engaged in in the poetry community, poetry, spoken word, slam communities, and they're interrelated, but not the same. Um, There's some overlap between them, but they're not necessarily the same communities, right? Um, So I'd say locally, it's evolved for sure. There is a tremendous amount of talent here in Denver, Colorado, Mm -hmm. when it comes to writing and performing. And I think there's also, it's deeply underfunded as an art form, right? Because it navigates the space sort of between literature and theater, and there's a gap there, right? So it's definitely underfunded. I think also the nature of the work is often heavy and uh, 
Some people are here for the heavy work, but it's not necessarily everyone's first form of entertainment. Gotcha. And so there, there are some, you know, it has a very specific audience, I think. And also those audiences go through waves, right? So it's a little bit, so it's a really specific and um, accessible though space, right? Which is where it's like, for artists, it's a wonderful place to develop because it doesn't have the same sort of gatekeepers that a lot of other art forms have, right? Like you can't just like sign up. <laughs> right, right, there, for sure. You know, you can show up and get on the mic. Um, and most people have experienced in some way writing poetry. Mm, and playing definitely. around with, you know, and granted, you know, hip hop is is the most important literary genre of the last century, right? Uh, right? Nothing has contributed more to our language than hip hop. So that's also, of course, a form of poetry, right? It's all the same thing in different, just taking on sort of different bodies, but it's all from that same root. Mm, absolutely. And so... That's so. I mean, it does still have its own shine, but there's but there's some navigable spaces in in poetry and spoken word, and relationship with the page uh, that also shifts things, right? Right, right, right. Definitely. So let's rewind a little bit in the life of Susan Q. Smith. Um, like you said, you can't really just sign up and just do this, but you've been doing this for a while, and you've been doing it at a very high level. What got you started? What what made you find that relationship with the with the pen to paper? You know, there are a lot a lot of people um, that helped me along the way. It's also part of my family's tradition. I come from a very artistic family, so it was a very normal thing for you know my aunt Sheila to be performing a Paul Lawrence Dunbar poem or my grandmother reading poetry to us, especially the Harlem Renaissance poets. When I was growing up, I was raised by my grandmother and her father was a poet. So poetry has always been a part of my life. I also grew up going to church five times a week and we were deeply in the church. So all of them verses, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and also like growing up with this sacred understanding of the word. And what words are and what words do and the way that words are powerful. Um, And while my spiritual beliefs have certainly evolved since then, the sanctity of the word generally and the power of words right is still Mm -hmm. really really with me and i have a great reverence for that so that's always been a part of my life but also growing up i was incredibly shy incredibly quiet so most people thought i couldn't talk actually when i was little wow i was so (laughs) quiet and i'm the youngest in my family so you know my siblings would do my speaking for me most of the time um and then i found that i would have to speak up more and more frequently when I found that no one was saying the thing that I wanted to be said. And Mm. I realized like, I'm going to have to be the person to say it. Like nobody else is going to say this thing. I guess, I guess it's me, but I was also always quietly writing poetry. Um, Poetry was a sort of a code language, if you will, being able to write an imagery, being able to write in metaphor. um, One makes it harder for other other people to understand it. And when you grow up in a crowded house with a bunch of people and everybody in your business, there's no diary. (laughs) There's no no privacy. There's no, right. So the closest I could get to privacy with my thoughts and like unpacking things was writing in code language. And that's what poetry was for me in a lot of ways. Um, When I first started reading poems to other people out loud, I was a teenager and I was extremely nervous. My voice would be shaking, my hands would be shaking, but I also just felt like if I didn't do it, I would explode. Like I had to say things somewhere. So I'd go to little open mics and little coffee shops and I would be 
young and black and with a bunch of mostly like older white dudes, <laughs> like from like the beatnik generation yeah. or whatever, you know, uh, but they were very welcoming and very cool. But I was very, you know, it was a specific thing. <laughs> yeah, and also sure. I was navigating that space too, you know, having so many people in that era tell me like, oh, well, that doesn't sound like poetry. That sounds more like hip hop. That sounds like rap. That sounds mm. like this. And I was like, nope, that's not what I'm doing. It's, it's poetry, bruh. Right. (laughs) And then when I navigate into hip hop spaces, people are like, "Mm, that sounds like poetry. I'm like, well, (laughs) here we are. Right. I don't know that it matters to me anymore, like what label people put on it. Like, I'm just, I'm doing what I do. That's what I was going to say. Sounds right. Yeah. Does it matter? Call it whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Call it it whatever as long as it sounds good. Yeah, exactly. Can you recall um, the first time you actually presented? your poetry out loud to someone? Yes, I think so. Uh, Well, the first time I ever, I know the first time I ever performed something publicly, but I was actually singing um, at this event. I was 14 and I was very, very nervous. And so nervous, in fact, that I started giggling halfway through (laughs) singing, lift every voice and sing. Oh, you can't giggle through that. Uh, I got I got nervous and the <laughs> piano player hit a note that was off and oh. then everything was funny to me and I was young and so, so nervous and a little giggle happened and I was singing with my best friend. We had practiced for months getting our harmonies together and uh, finally singing in front of this church of like good two, three hundred people. And one of us started giggling. We still don't know which one started first, but one of us started giggling. And then the other one kind of started giggling. And then we looked at each other and it was over, right? <laughs> we right. both started laughing, <laughs> laughing so hard that we fell over laughing and literally rolled off the stage onto no. the ground. <laughs> so my very first time performing for a public audience, I laughed myself off stage. Literally. And it's a literal thing that happened. And so I feel like it gave me some courage and confidence after that, because like whatever happens after that, like. It won't be that bad, probably. <laughs> right, I have for not sure. had a show that bad since. Um, however, <laughs> like to start out that poorly and to still be able to build a professional career as a performer, like if I could do it. <laughs> yeah, for real. And work past all those nerves. And now I've performed for, you know, probably millions of people collectively. But, you know, as, as I think the largest audience was probably a couple hundred thousand people. Mm. Um, and... Yeah, nerves are a trip and they don't necessarily seem to impact me as negatively as they once did. But that is a thing that uh, a lot of people don't know about me is that I'm still a very, very shy person. Isn't that weird how that works? So, I mean, most creatives or not most creatives, but a lot of creatives are very introverted, shy type Mm -hmm. people until they're in their element. Um, So I I get that for sure. Um, Yeah, I think that's part of why, too. Like I talked to a friend of mine, Bree Davies, and she's also an introvert performer. We talked about kind of how we came into it. One of the things we both discovered about being a performer is that you get access to private spaces at shows. So you can mm-hmm. still like do what you love. You can still be kind of social, but still in a very, very small way because you're backstage, you're in green rooms. You know what I mean? Like, right. And then you're just like on the stage with your people, but you're so you're like with people, but not really all the way. And that's right. one of the appeals probably <laughs> that you don't know for fully- sure be amongst the whole the whole vibe definitely so you're just talking about performing in front of large crowds and 
people in general. And I've seen you personally perform from poetry to singing to rapping with Lady Wu. <laughs> and it I definitely don't see the shyness on stage <laughs> at, at all. But uh, just to reflect on that a little bit, what would you say would be one of your um, most memorable experiences on stage performing just mm. in general? There have been quite a few. Um, just getting to perform like with or for people that sort of never thought you would meet, you know, <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. it's like wild times, like, wait a minute. Um, like opening for Nikki Giovanni and having mm-hmm. her take my hand afterwards and tell me that my poems were sharp. I was like, I'm not going to faint. You know, that was a beautiful moment. Or uh, when Ray Kwan called Lady Wu-Tang on stage to perform. Yeah, with him. major. We didn't know that was going to happen. Uh, I was like, wait, what? He said, okay, when Ray Kwan, the chef, like, we didn't have enough mics, so he took his his mic and mm. wiped his sweat off it, wiped his spit off it, put it directly in my hand. I said, "Well, well, okay, <laughs> well, here it goes." Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I guess I better go ahead and get this verse. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so there's been a lot of just wild adventures like that, you know. Um, speaking at the women's march, um, mm. performing at Red Rocks, like a lot of really dope and beautiful moments, and then just like so many small little like. This little coffee house vibes, a lot of college campuses. You right. know, every time I get to really connect with people and have them think about things differently or feel less isolated in whatever. I've had many a many a time where audience members come up afterwards and, you know, tell me that something I said moved them in a profound way, made them see something different, made them feel differently about something, or they thought they were the only person that thought or feel felt a certain way and then I said it and they were like, oh, you know, um Yeah. So that's that's always really beautiful just to know that like the work is working. Right, right. Absolutely. The work is working. That's a that's a good lead into what I want to talk about next. So just um it's a weird weird time right now. Definitely a weird time. Um you're also a community organizer or uh, community organizer. Um your voice is very impactful not just in the city but just in the community period. I just want to ask you, how are you feeling during this time right now? Um, with the protests, with everything going on socially, just how are you feeling? I mean, I feel curious, I would say, is maybe okay. the most accurate. I think it's been an interesting year for sure. Um, But also there's so much of this that uh, I feel like I have been, you know, training for this my whole life. So it's not none of this really that new. Um, You know, I'm already an introvert. So they tell me to stay at home. I'm good. (laughs) I got you right. (laughs) I'm already in the house. So it's fine. I got plenty of projects to work on. Got so many books I haven't had a chance to read yet. Like I'm smooth over here. So there's that. Um, But also thinking about so I have two two new books of poetry coming out in the next year right uh, mm. none of them were written this year though one the book I wrote last year I titled poems for the end of the world oh, wow and so that was pre-covid um, the book before that is called a gospel of bones and that is very much about um, contemplations on race and race relations and 
the impacts on identity and understandings of how we navigate the world. So all of these things are like, this is already what I do. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> so right. This was, that was, that was my 2018 book, you know, and like, it's been an interesting time for sure this year, like so many people calling on me over the summer to speak to them about this moment. And I'm like, this moment is the same as the last moment as the moment before that. I don't even mm. have to write anything new for this. In fact, I don't even have to read any of my poems. I can go back and hit you with the Sonia Sanchez. I can hit you with the June Jordan. I can hit you with an Audre Lorde. Like this ain't, you know, we've been doing this. <laughs> so like, I'm glad that more and more people are aware of it. And I do see some shifts, right? So it's interesting and it's curious, like for sure, there was that period of time over the summer where like, I think people who I had like argued about Black Lives Matter with five years ago were now changing their profile pictures to Black Lives Matter. They were out here like, you know, abolish the police. Right. And it was a very, that was a moment. See, for them, it was a moment because they were <laughs> they were only on that team for about two weeks. And then they was like, well, I mean, we didn't got to really abolish. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like, mean, they cool and we, all. <laughs> we just, you know what I mean? Like, could we just, could we just calm down? <laughs> right. So they weren't really, for them, it's a moment. For me, you know, this is a lifestyle. This has been, this has been, been on. So, um Got plenty of work for it. Got plenty of work for the next moment. Got plenty of work for the moment after that. So curious is probably how I feel because I'm mostly interested in how how people are going to move, right? Um, right. But it's a difficult it's a difficult year for sure for a lot of people. You know, I think the hardest part, of course, of all of this whole year and everything it has carried is, you know, one in one thousand Black people have died of COVID in the United States. Mm. Right. And I have personally sent condolences to somebody I care about probably once a week since April. Wow. I can relate. Yeah. Like that's, it's a very high cost. Yeah. Obviously I'm, we need a lot of transformation socially, right? We need a lot of transformation. And this is part of this hard stop that we need to stop and reexamine a lot of things. Um, I have no interest in going back to normal because I wasn't normal. Mm, I feel um, that. You know, capitalism and grind culture and all of that. It's very toxic and it's not sustainable. And we need that pause. And we deserve rest. And deserve rest. Um, you know, yeah, definitely like super rock heavy with uh, the NAP ministry. If you're not familiar with it, highly recommend checking out Trisha Hersey and the NAP, the NAP ministry. She's the NAP bishop. Um, okay. And she'll get, she got my whole life together. <laughs> like, cause I'm, I'm definitely, I, I was team grind for a very long time. Right. Right. And now I'm like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> right. I mean, the world's going to keep moving and whether, you know, you, you take a right. quick rest or not. I get it. I get yeah. it. Yeah. And no matter how hard I work, it's always going to be more work to do. I'm never going to be finished. It's all right. It'll be there. So there's that. And also, renegotiating just sort of my boundaries around um, my visibility, mm. uh, how accessible I am, like all of those things and the things that people sort of demand from me. You know, when we talk about community leadership and community organizing and how much of that is demanded of a few of us, right? This handful of us Absolutely. that are generally not not paid, not protected for that work. You know what I mean? Like, no, that's we're just like everybody. So um, and sometimes not, right? Right. So it's been, you know, it's been an interesting time to pause. And I think the pause is very important. And I'm also very, very saddened by the cost. 
mm. of so many lives. Right. And it's right. not over yet. I mean, because we, we, we look at it, when I say it's a weird time, there's so many different ways to interpret that. But on top of it being a whole revolution, it's a whole pandemic at the same time. Uh-huh. So it's just it's, it's so much to focus on. Um, but on top of that, to go back to that word, curious, um, I'm a father, you're a mother. Mm-hmm. We're raising kids during this time, most curious beings in the world. Um, and then on top of that, you teach as well. So mm-hmm. I'm curious how you're maneuvering as far as just teaching your children, um, helping teach and lead the youth during these times, and just kind of the messages that you want to make sure you implement with them. Well, I think that um, with my daughter this year, she's grown now. Uh, ish, grown-ish, <laughs> but she was living on her own and uh, she moved back in with me. I was like, I would like to have you close during this experience. Like, let's get through COVID and this presidential election and whatever that's about to be. Yeah. Um, let's let's be close together where I can lay my eyes upon you every day. And she was good with that. So it's nice to have her back at home with me. Um and I also teach middle school. So I teach creative writing in middle school. And we have very open and honest dialogues across cultures and classes every day. And cultivating what we can control, right? Like the most beautiful pieces. And so being kind to one another, right, is one of the main things that I teach every day. And knowing, you know, acknowledging the things that are outside of our hands, but owning the power that we do have. Right. We all have the power to be kind to one another. We all have the power to impact like how somebody else is going to feel through the rest of that day. Right. You can really like put some shine, some hop in somebody's step. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? If you come with the right word uh, or you can tear somebody down. Right. So being mindful of how you use words and being really intentional about what you want your words to do and using them, using your power for good and also understanding that you have power, right? A lot of people don't think they have any power, right? Alice Walker said that, right? The most common way we give up our power is by thinking we don't have any, right? And so thinking about that, and I talk pretty heavily about power with my students and considering what powers they have, right? Um, And and making, making them more aware of them every day of like, oh, I have the power to this and that. And the ways that we impact each other is a power that literally everyone has. So being responsible with that, right? Being intentional with that is something we work on heavily because whatever this is about to be, you know, collectively, like we all we got. So might as well keep it cool. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fact. Might as well be kind. Um, Right. Because in most cases, um, Whoever you think your enemy is, is not around you. Mm. Probably have never looked them in the face. Um, Mm. Most of the people who live right by you, go to school with you, be at your same grocery store, et cetera, et cetera. uh, It's not your enemy. People who look like you, probably not your enemy. Um, The people who are really coming for your life, coming for your neck and have the power to do it. (laughs) (laughs) You ain't never been in a room with them before. Right. Mm, And that is an important thing to maintain that perspective. Um, Because 
about 99% of us, <laughs> you know what I mean, are in the same boat. Yeah, for sure. And then for it's sure. a 1% on a yacht, spaceship, something. I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know a UFO. It's setting up their Mars colony and they're going to leave us. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. You know. they, they can go ahead and do that. But <laughs> so you, you you touched on something. Uh, I want to go back to that. You were just saying recognizing your power. Um, and that kind of just brings this conversation back uh, full circle to where I wanted to get it to in the beginning. It's just the power of what you say, what you write, um, how you're speaking to people. I feel like we're in this time now, especially with social media, where we're so used to just saying things and we we have these platforms and these outlets to just talk and type and and let off whatever our thoughts are at the moment and we don't necessarily pay attention to how that may be affecting not only other people but just our energies as well um and you say you teach creative writing um how how are you navigating through this social media space on that end i mean because especially with you said middle schoolers, because mm-hmm. um, you, you can't necessarily censor someone and say, hey, you shouldn't write how you feel. But now everybody writes how they feel all day. So it kind of takes away from the feeling, if that makes sense. I think there are certain points where I have paused myself on social media when I feel like I'm about to go and say everything on Twitter or whatever. And then I'm like, hey, write a poem. <laughs> Mm -hmm. (laughs) this ain't got to give everything all the time like go ahead and let it marinate right i think that this is something that 2020 has reminded me how important it is to slow down and ponder you know it's an important part of my creative process and i haven't had that kind of time for years just really to think about things to consider to examine to dive in to unpack all of that, all of that, right? That's such an important part of the creative process. And before we speak, like really, really marinating on something for a minute is valuable. Also, you don't have to say everything you think. So (laughs) (laughs) those are important things. Um, But I also love that everyone has a platform now to say what they need to. And I think that that is better for everyone, right? Being able to Cause I don't, I don't censor. I don't even censor my middle school students at all. Um, so they can literally write anything. They can't say whatever they want to because the school does have rules. But right. they can write anything they want to in my classroom. I tell them I'm grown, so you're not going to shock me. You write it, you send it to me privately. That's what that is, and I'm not concerned about your language or whatever else. Because um, I want them to express themselves honestly, and that is more important to me than whether they do it appropriately. We can talk mm. about the rest later. You know. Um, and I'd rather they tell their truth, whatever that is, and dive into it. So those are important things. And and everyone should have a space to express their truth and have some means to examine it and process it and be able to reflect upon it. Right. So I think that social media in many ways just depends on how you use it. It's like anything else, you know, but we have such different social media lives. I remember when my daughter was like, she was probably like 11 and she said, mom, Everybody on Tumblr loves Miley Cyrus. And I was like, bruh, we have very different Tumblrs. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. That's not my experience at all. <laughs> we live very different social media lives um, and we engage with it differently. But I think it's also important to 
take space. You know, uh, we live in such an era of communication and information, and it's beautiful that we have access to so much information. But it's also important to be the pilot of what you are receiving, right? You got to manage mm-hmm. your mind and guard that gate. You know what I mean? Because like, for sure, uh, it's the only way to like be productive in it and also not be poisoned by it. So, and it'll suck your whole time away if you're not careful, you know? That is um, a fact. And also, I think there's that bit, though. There's, I don't know, the connection's a little bit weird, right? Because it's abnormal, right, to still be in contact with somebody you used to work customer service with 15 years ago, right? <laughs> yeah. But now that's normal, right? Like, we all just like, oh, yeah, this one person that I met this one place that I worked at this one job with, like, so-and-so's mm-hmm. such-and-such cousin, uncle, you know, and we have all these connections and we just keep them forever. And it's wild and very strange. Because <laughs> normally, like, you would leave that job and never talk to those people again. Right. You know? <laughs> that would be it. And be <laughs> right. like, I wonder whatever happened to such and such. Now we don't ever have to wonder what happened to anybody. Mm, like, oh, you know, every detail. Like, oh, they're right yeah. there. The same people I knew in seventh grade, maybe right in the same spot. <laughs> <You know>? Right. <laughs> it is a very, very different way to navigate relationships communication. Also, we're talking about politics. We're talking about religion. We're telling inappropriate jokes, like all these things in the same space with everyone we have ever met. Right. <laughs> and then some all <laughs> the time. That's crazy and to think that about it like that. Is, it shifts relationships, right? It shifts yeah. the ways that we perceive each other. Um, it, shift, it shifts the ways that we navigate. All of those things are because there's so many things that we say on social media that normally we might just say in this room or that mm-hmm. room. Um, and now it's like, oh, it's just, we're all saying all the things all the time to everybody. Wow. Okay. This is, uh, mm-hmm. it's, <laughs> there's some discernment in there, but I also sort of appreciate the veil being pulled back a bit. You yeah. Know? Uh, transparency. Yeah. So, but I do feel overwhelmed by the, the expectation of communication sometimes. Um, people expect to have access to you a lot, especially when you have a lot of visibility. Um, they feel in some ways old. Mm. And that gets a little exhausting for sure. A lot of exhausting for sure. For yeah. sure. But with that, you've you've been utilizing your platform in a very powerful manner for a very long time. Just want to let you know I'm personally a fan. Uh, thank you. I uh, thank you. Um, I enjoyed this conversation. Um, if you're a rapper or something, I'd be like, spit something, but I ain't, I'm not about to do that to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> but but what I'll do is I'll have you just tell people where to hear some of your poems or watch any of your videos, your TED Talks, things like that. Uh, the best way to probably do that is Google Susie Q. Smith, or you can go to susieqsmith.com. I'm also on all social media platforms except TikTok because that's where I draw the line. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm pretty much everywhere else. So currently working on um, teaching a workshop series that people can just like sign up for called There Will Probably Be Crying. Mm. Just finished the first wave and it went really well. So it is sort of a poetry group therapy church, if you will. <laughs> okay, a, that sounds heavy. Intensive experience, but it's a 16 week writing workshop. So that's happening. Uh, a couple books coming out, um, new song coming out soon. Okay. So there's, you know, a lot of things in the works that I'm really excited about. 
Nice, nice. Lastly, if you could just leave one positive message with anybody listening right now, just a little little note for them to take from this from this conversation, what would that be? You have the power to make somebody's day with a kind word. Remember to use it. Mm, there it is. Once again, much love to Susie Q. Smith. Y'all make sure y'all hop on social media, YouTube, check her out. Susie Q. Smith. Very dope, very dope. So by now, we all know that Connect is about culture and community. One of the biggest elements of the culture is hip-hop. So this is part of the show I like to call the Connect Power Play. What that is, is I pick a song that I like, I rock with a lot, and it also sums up the conversation that we had today. This week's Power Play is a Feeny remix by Rhapsody, featuring PJ Morton and D Smoke. Y'all turn this up, vibe out. Stay safe, stay dangerous, stay strapped, stay hydrated, stay out the way, stay in the house, stay up, all that. <laughs> I have been graffiti. This has been the connect. One love. Out.